Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. This morning, I want to, uh, I want to talk about developing a characteristic that every single Christian absolutely has to have or you will never be a successful Christian. You'll never have a, a witness for Christ. And unfortunately, this is a character trait that is rapidly disappearing from our society. That character trait is integrity. You hear that word, integrity. Our character always comes into contact with this issue of integrity. And all of us, we all face decisions every day, and we have to decide if we're going to do the right thing. You know, sometimes we might think to ourselves, now, now if I do what I think is right, is that going to produce the results that I'd really like to see? And that's where we get in ourselves in trouble sometimes. Daniel, the life of Daniel, the, uh, a few weeks ago we had a family movie night on a Wednesday night, and it was about the life of Daniel. So kind of keeping that fresh in our minds, Daniel he was the perfect model of making right decisions that produced right consequences. And the name of this message this morning is Daniel, a portrait of integrity. Now, notice what the Bible says in 1 Chronicles 29.17. It says, I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. That's in the, the New Living Testament. The, this Bible verse is very, very specific, speaking very specifically on how we can personally make God rejoice. It says that God rejoices when we demonstrate integrity. Now, don't you want to live your life in a way that really pleases God and causes Him to rejoice? You know, a lot of people are familiar with uh, Daniel from the story of you know, Daniel in the lion's den. And that's a very powerful story. But before you ever get to the lion's den, there's, a very, uh, there's several interesting stories in the book of Daniel. You find in the first chapter that Daniel, uh, God has yanked Daniel right out of his comfort zone. Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Israel, and now all of the Israelites are slaves in Babylon. And then Nebuchadnezzar, he does something kind of interesting. He says to one of his palace officials, he says, go out there and get the, the, pick the best and the brightest of the young slaves and bring them in to live and eat in my palace. He wanted to do something to raise up some future leaders. And he figured that if they were among the best and the brightest and they were Israelites, that they would be of great value in his kingdom because all of these Israelite uh, slaves would, would listen to them, and he could have great influence. So lo and behold, Daniel and three of his good friends are chosen among the many young men to take part in really what was kind of a sociological experiment of Nebuchadnezzar's. Now, they were still slaves, but at least they got to live in the palace. They got to uh, eat the king's food. And the king's desire was that they were going to develop into these big, strong, intelligent men to work in his kingdom and have great influence 
over the Israelites. Now, the big problem for David was this. The king's diet was completely contrary to his Jewish beliefs. The king's food was not kosher, right? So Daniel goes to the, to the attendant who was in charge of he and his three buddies, and he says, the, he says look, I, I really appreciate you know, the king offering his food, but would you mind if my friends and I, if we just eat fruits and, and vegetables and drink water? And the king's attendant you know, looked at him, and he was not very keen on this idea. He said, look, boys, I, I appreciate your little moral dilemma here, but what I really need you to do is look at this thing from my perspective. He says, if you guys start to get weak and scrawny compared to the others, the king is going to ask me what the problem is. And when I tell the king, well, I wasn't feeding them what you told me to feed them, he said, my head's going to be rolling down the main aisle. Because, you know, back then, it didn't take much for those kings to have your head lopped off, right? I'm telling you, heads were rolling around like bowling balls back in those days, man. I mean, just all over the place. Daniel said, he said, look, I tell you what. <clears throat> he said, you let us eat our Hebrew diet for just 10 days, and then you look us over and you decide who looks better. So after 10 days, Daniel and his three friends, sure enough, they looked as good or better than the others. And so what there was here, it was a crisis of integrity, wasn't it? Was Daniel going to just go with the flow and not rock the boat? I mean, he was, he was going to be eating a lot better than all the other common slaves living outside the palace. That is for sure. Or was he going to example integrity and risk this new, very comfortable living arrangement by not eating the king's food. And this was actually the first recorded decision that began Daniel's life of integrity. It's the first one that's recorded. I'm sure there were probably more. It's the first one we know about. Now let me remind you, living with integrity usually makes life uncomfortable. How many of you have already figured that out? We don't choose integrity because we want to be comfortable. Just because you make a right decision, a decision of integrity, it doesn't mean everything's going to go smooth as silk. A lot of times, it stirs up a hornet's nest. Who's ever experienced that? Bunch of you. The rest of you maybe have not made decisions of integrity. I don't know, or you'd have had your hand up, but we'll... You may have a decision facing you today. It may be your place of work. That's a, it's a right decision, but it's not going to make you popular. Or maybe a decision concerning a relationship that you're in, or, or maybe a, concerning a financial situation, whatever it is. Let me tell you, life is not easy when you make right decisions. <clears throat> but here's, here's, here's the great thing. We... We can't let our circumstances determine if we're going to choose integrity. Because when we make a right decision, it may make life tough, but it makes life right. That's the important thing. You know, a lot of people kind of live their lives like they have this integrity on-off switch. Anybody met anyone like this? They can turn it on, they can turn it off. A lot of times, as long as things are very comfortable, they leave the switch on. But if things start to get a little bit uncomfortable, 
and they realize that all they have to do to get back into the comfy zone is make a little decision, a little decision that kind of goes against God's standard of integrity. They just flip the switch off for a while. They make their choice, and then once their conscience has kind of settled back down, then they flip the switch back on. The good news about that is this. Hardly anybody ever notices it, and, and they still look like good Christian people of integrity. Because that's really the most important thing, right? I mean, if we can't always be people of integrity, we should at least strive to look like people of integrity. You want me to just move on? That's not how it works, is it? That is not how... Integrity has to be determined and is determined on a day-by-day basis. Every day when we climb out of bed, we've got to decide, you know, today I'm going to be a person of integrity. Not on Sunday. We have to make that decision every day. When we get out of bed, I'm going to make my choices based on what I know is right, not on how it's going to affect my comfort. I'm going to be a person of integrity and of good character. Because God, I've said this many times, it's a theme that's been running through these messages the last few weeks. God is always more interested in our character than he is in our comfort. Now, if you were to go around asking people, are you a person of integrity? Most people will probably say, absolutely I am, almost all the time. Well, there's a problem right there. You see, that would be a false answer because the truth is you cannot be a person of integrity most of the time. You either have integrity or you don't have it. You know, again, it's like, you know, the old adage, it's like being pregnant. You either are or you are not. There is no in-between, right? You can fool people. A lot of people think I'm pregnant. I'm not. It's just the way I look. We can fool people. The same is true with integrity. We can fool people thinking we've got all the integrity in the world. But the truth is, we either have it or we don't. You cannot be a person of integrity part of the time, some of the time, even most of the time. Integrity must include that word all or we don't have it. So once again, integrity, when does it start? It starts when we climb out of bed in the morning. When does it end? It ends when we get in bed and start and go to sleep. And it's not that integrity is ending. It's just that you're going to sleep. In other words, it's all the time, isn't it? Now, some of you, you might have struggled with some choices this morning. You might have climbed out of bed. It's a beautiful day outside. You started thinking of all the things maybe you could do. And and before you know it, it's one of those integrity decisions. Am I going to go to church or am I going to go do something else? Well, the fact that you're hearing my voice, I commend you on your decision making this morning. Good job. A lot of choices we make in life are very easy, right? We all make a lot of easy decisions. Am I going to wear the blue shirt today? Am I going to wear the green one, black socks, the brown socks? You know, what do I want for breakfast? Do I want the Captain Crunch 
Do I want the cocoa pebbles or do I want the fiber one wheat squares? <laughs> well, I guess I better go, you know, with the cocoa pebbles. <laughs> we, we process all of this, you know. But some of the decisions we make have a, a huge impact on our lives. And not only on our lives, on the lives of everyone that's around us. For instance, there's probably, probably been times in your life where you either got caught doing something wrong or you discovered that you were doing something wrong. Anyone ever been there? Either caught or discovered? Normally mine was caught. Right then, you had to decide if you were going to man up and admit that you were doing something wrong and, and face the consequences, or were you going to maybe kind of make up a little white lie, you know, just to kind of cover your tracks? Making right decisions, it can be tough. Not only tough, it can be unpopular and sometimes just downright very, very uncomfortable. But there are great rewards for living a life of integrity. And this morning, I want to give you four steps to living a life of integrity. And that they're all based on the example of the life of Daniel. This is a great story about integrity. The first step in living a life of integrity is you have to know what you believe. You've got to decide and you've got to, you have to know and decide what you believe is truth in this life, don't you? The first step in living a life of integrity is being sure of what we believe. It's impossible to have integrity without having a very clear and defined set of boundaries and having a, a very resolute moral code to govern our lives. Because without that, I'm telling you, your life becomes a free-for-all. And that's kind of where we're at today. In most people's lives in our society, it's a free-for-all. There's no wrong, there's no right, and we're, we'll talk about that a little bit. So how do we develop these moral values into our life? I'm telling you there's only one way. We have to seek them out in God's Word, because that's where they're all at. And then we ask Him for strength to obey them. Because they don't all come easy, but they're all right. Proverbs 2, 3, and 5 says... <clears throat> says, cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasure. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. It says we need to seek out these answers like hidden treasure. You know, I, I don't remember this. I remember my mom telling me, when I was born, she looked at me. My dad was there in the room. She said, oh, what a, what a treasure. And my dad said, yeah, let's bury it. <laughs> That's another story, but anyway. Even in Webster's Dictionary, it defines God. Listen to the Webster's uh, definition of God. The perfect, omnipotent, omniscient originator of the universe. That's a pretty impressive resume, isn't it? It sounds like the perfect source to find truthful answers to our lives. The huge problem that we have in our society and even in our churches to an extent is that there's so many people today 
who look to themselves or they look to others for their answers in life. They either rely on their own knowledge to come up with this set of beliefs that they're going to say is truth, or else they're not even going to do it themselves. They're going to rely on other people to tell them what they should believe. Now, you may be here this morning and you say, well, that's terrible. But I'm just saying this. If you never pick up your Bible to read it for yourself, but you come on Sunday mornings to listen to me or, or someone who's speaking, you are relying on others to tell you what to believe. Now, I'm telling you, I believe it's truth, but you've got to take my word for it, don't you? That's all I'll say about that. It's important that we read our Bibles, right? So, there are tons of people who attend churches every week, and they never, as I say, pick up God's Word to read it for themselves. They strictly rely on others to tell them what they should believe. If they're in a good Bible-believing church, great. But if they're not, that is why we have all these weird cults in the world today. Because people are relying on others to tell them what is truth and what we ought to believe. And probably just as bad as that, sometimes people base their decisions on their emotions. Boy, that'll get you in trouble faster than anything you can do, man. They base their decisions on how they feel at that time. And the big problem is our feelings change constantly, don't they? Wow, what, what, what is more shaky than our feelings and our emotions to be basing life decisions on, right? How many times in your life have you made a decision based on an emotion and man, it came back to bite you hard? You know, when I was a little kid, I don't remember how old, I don't know, third, fourth grade. My older sister, Linda, had a girlfriend that lived just three houses down from us. And even though they were like five years older than me, I had a crush on this girl. You know, I was too young and stupid to know, you know, there's no chance, but I had this crush, you know. Her name was Karen Zare, in case you're interested. <laughs> And man, I had a crush on Karen's there. And one, one afternoon, Linda said, Mom, I'm going down to Karen's house. And I said, I'm going to go too. And Linda said, oh, no, you're not. You just stay here. You're not going down there. So I did what every kid did. I said, Mom, Linda says I can't go to Karen's there's house, and I want to go to Karen's there's house. And my mom said, you just stay right here, young man. So my sister walked out the back door, and I, so I let him know I meant business. And bang, I banged on that window, and I put my hand right through the glass window. And I've got a scar. If you want to see it after church, I'll show you. It's over an inch long, and it is less than a quarter of an inch from the main artery in my wrist. <laughs> Don't fool around with me. I'll, I'll, show, I'll show you what I think about things, you know. Man. How many of you got your own story about stupid stuff you did based out of emotion? You didn't really think about it. You just let emotion take over. How many of those stories turned out good? Just curious. Oh, not a hand in the place. That should tell us something, right? Our emotions are incredibly, it's a very, very unstable foundation to base any life decisions on, right? Just because something feels good, that doesn't mean it's right, right? Just because something feels bad may not necessarily mean it's bad. 
You know, there's a getting something you really want for free in life. Man, that feels so good, doesn't it? But if you have to steal it to get it free, there's a big problem, right? I'll tell you another thing that I am just sick of hearing about. I'm sick of hearing this, this phrase. We live in a postmodern world. First of all, it's so stupid because modern means up to date. We're, we're beyond up to date. We're past. We left up to date way behind. We are postmodern. We've gone beyond current. Isn't that stupid? Okay, but get beyond the stupid name. This, this nonsense, it started back in the late 70s. I remember when it started, early 80s. It centers around the idea that there is relativity to all meaning and truth. Did you get that? Simple, right? There's relativity to all meaning and truth. How many say, I, I don't have a clue what that means? It's just a bunch of words. Well, what it means, or what they want you to believe that that means, is that there is no absolute truth. What's truth for me may not be truth for you based on your individualism that we all must have. I gotta be me. And, or, and based on your upbringing, your cultural surroundings, your upbringing. Therefore, if truth is relative to the individual, then no one is ever really wrong, right? And that's what we hear in our courts every single day. Judge, it wasn't my fault. When I was a kid, I asked for cookies. My mom said, no, you can't have cookies. I said, please, can I have cookies? And she said, no. And so I had to kill all those people. That's about how ridiculous the world has gotten, right? I mean, that sounds ridiculous. I'm telling you, that's where we're at. It's never our fault. It's always someone else's fault because there is no absolute truth. So... This, this describes the postmodern society that we live in. Every kid in Little League, if you're on the worst team that's ever existed, you're getting a trophy. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> but hopefully you can see clearly why we all need this source of truth that is steadfast, unwavering, uncompromising. And I'm telling you, the only place to find it is in God's Word. That's the only place. It's very clear that Daniel's source of belief was God Almighty. He was steadfast, unwavering, uncompromising, and he was able to make those really tough decisions regardless of his external circumstances. Step one is we have to know what we believe, right? There's no skirting around this issue. We must know exactly what we believe or we will end up believing anything. You can quote me on that, even though it's, it's not my original quote, but please feel free. Step one, we have to know what we believe. Here is step two. First, we know what we believe, but secondly, we have to trust what we believe. You know, as the story of Daniel continues, continues, we find that his integrity has certainly rubbed off on his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar had made this huge golden statue of himself, and he was demanding that everyone in the entire kingdom bow down and worship that statue. Of course, Daniel and his three friends did not. They were told either bow down and worship this, or we are going to throw you into the 
into the fiery furnace. We all say that, don't we? We've heard that story. You know, most of you know that I'm easily amused, right? There are things in the Bible that amuse me. This is one of them. The fact that all throughout scriptures, the Babylonians, every time they refer to their furnace, theirs is the fiery furnace. See, not to be confused with other cultures that might throw you in a furnace that wasn't fiery. It's just, it amuses me, you know. It's like saying, we're going to wrap you up in chains and we're going to throw you into the watery lake. Because <laughs> that's the way our lakes are around here. Anyway, it has nothing to do with the sermon. Uh, it just amuses me. People always say, oh, they got thrown into the... We're so programmed. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. Not one that was filled with ice cubes. I must go on. I'm sorry. So look at how these three friends of Daniel, how they responded. Daniel 3, 17 and 18. If we are thrown into the fiery furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power. But even if he doesn't, you can be sure that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you have set up. I mean, these guys, they not only knew what they believed, boy, they absolutely trusted it, right? They knew it, and they trusted it. They were willing to trust their lives to the truth that they believed. So sure enough, they were thrown into the fiery furnace, as a matter of fact, it was so fiery that it even killed the guys that threw him in there. But the Bible says not even a hair on their head was singed. You know, Daniel, he had made it a lifestyle practice to always place his trust completely in God. Never once did it fail him or his three friends, right? And if we insist on placing our trust in either ourselves or other people you are guaranteed to have a life that is going to be very, very disappointing. To live a life of integrity, the first step is we have to know what we believe. And secondly, we have to back it up in trusting what we believe. And then the it leads us to the third step of a life of integrity. We have to live what we believe. We have to live it out. It's not enough just to know it, trust it. We have to Act on it. We have to live it out. You know, you might say, well, that's a no-brainer. Well, you know, you'd be surprised. It's very, very common for people to know what they believe, to trust what they believe, and yet when they're met with certain circumstances, it goes out the window. They do not demonstrate it in our lives. That is the one time in our life when we experience guilt. How many of you, be honest, raise your hands. How many of you have ever experienced guilt in your life? Okay, listen to this. I'm going to tell you why you experienced guilt. It's the only reason. It's because you believed something to be true. You trusted that belief to be true, but you did something else. That is the only reason any of us ever experience guilt. The fact that you feel guilty proves that you believed something else was truth and you even trusted it. It was due to the fact that it's making you feel lousy. That's why we experience guilt. Who's glad you came to church this morning? All right, good, good, good. We're about halfway through. We'll be done in an hour or so here. 
We have to act on what we believe. Amen? Not enough to just know it and trust it. We have to act on it. 2 Chronicles 19.9 says, You must always act with integrity and with undivided hearts. I would have to say the most important word in that scripture right there is that word act. Because the bottom line is this. Belief without action is hypocrisy. Belief without action is hypocrisy. And the thing is, we've all been hypocrites at one time or another in our life. We've all believed in one thing and just flat out did something else. What is that called? Hypocrisy. That's why it's so important for us not just to know it, not just to trust it. We have to live it out on a daily basis. The truth that we get from God's Word. Daniel was this portrait of living integrity. He wasn't afraid to make those very hard decisions that would keep him faithful to his faith. As I said early on, every day we are all faced with decisions. From the moment we get out of bed to the time we get climb back into bed at night, we, our life is nothing but one decision strung to the next, right? That's what our life is, choice after choice after choice. Now, maybe none of us will ever get thrown into a lion's den. But boy, sometimes it can sure feel that way, can't it? It can feel like you've made a right decision. And what did you get for your effort? Kind of thrown into a lion's den. That doesn't mean God has forsaken you. As a matter of fact, it it proves that God is going to prove himself faithful. So don't be afraid when you know that making a decision that is godly, truthful, and right is going to make you uncomfortable. Don't be afraid of the uncomfort because the the blessing you receive from God is always going to outweigh the discomfort. That's what we all have to remember. So here's how we get ourselves in trouble a lot of times. You know, it's it's like I was talking about that on-off switch. Our integrity just maybe isn't consistent, which means we don't have it. Maybe we make a few good decisions, and then and we think to ourselves, man, I, I have just been so good. I think I deserve a little me time, because I've been so good. I deserve a little selfish time. The problem with integrity is this. Integrity is the sum of all of our decisions. It's not the sum of just a few of our decisions or even the majority of our decisions. It is the sum of all of our decisions. That's why we either have it or we don't. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to send anyone out here depressed. Maybe you have completely blown your integrity. Don't think your life is lost. Coming to Jesus saying, God, forgive me, it wipes the slate clean and you get a fresh start with integrity and just start again and and do your best not to blow it if you do just ask God to forgive you he wipes it clean and you're still good to go that's good news isn't it because how many of us have ever blown our integrity aren't you glad you get a fresh start simply by asking God to forgive you but I want to give you a list this morning of the the most dangerous enemies to your integrity. Here are the six most dangerous enemies you face to integrity. Popularity. 
convenience, fear, materialism, selfishness, and comfort. Those are the six bad boys in our life right there. Popularity, convenience, fear, materialism, selfish, comfort. That's six things. I'm a preacher, not a mathematician. I had to, I had to count them there. It is not always popular to make the right decision, correct? It is not always convenient to make the right decision. It is not always comfortable to make the right decision, but the right decision, it's always right. It's always, it's always right to make the right decision. And anything other than right is wrong. It's just one, it's one way or the other. Paul gives us some incredible advice in Romans 12 too. Paul said this, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So what's one of the keys to this? Changing the way we think. Because the truth is this, every sinful act, every unsinful act you've ever done in your life, anything you've ever done, first is processed through the brain. Now, a lot of times it's like we say, oh man, I did something so stupid. I did it without thinking, which is not true. You cannot do anything without thinking. Maybe you'd only thought about it for a nanosecond and you made a really bad choice, but it first went through your brain before it came out of your mouth or your hands or feet did something. It's important that we allow God to change the way we think because, man, that'll save us a ton of grief in this life. Because when we leave, leave it up to our own thinking, whew, what a mess we make of things, right? And I'll tell you, Paul wrote this. Let me tell you, being a man of integrity, that was not easy for Paul. Uh, a lot of these great pearls of wisdom like this that he wrote for us, these were, weren't written at the Conrad Hilton they were written while he was sitting in a rat-infested, sewage, stinking prison cell. Why was he there? He was there because of his integrity. That's why he was sitting there. As a matter of fact, finally, when Paul refused to obey, uh, to deny God and, uh, and, and pledge his, himself to the king, what happened to him? cut his head off. But here's the big payoff. Living a life of integrity, ultimately, it brings you joy, peace of mind, and most importantly, eternal life. Is there anything that goes beyond eternal life? That, that's, that's as good as it gets, right? Especially an eternal life of joy and peace of mind and happiness. That's the thing. No amount of money, power, popularity, fame, pleasure, nothing tops eternal life. So I'm almost finished. I'm going to dismiss our baptism candidates this morning. But I will say this. In the last several thousand years, I don't believe one of the world's richest people have lived longer than 100 years. All the money in the world doesn't compare to what God has in store for us in heaven. And we get to enjoy it forever. Forever. And finally, it brings me to step four of living a life of integrity. It has a lot to do with missions and missions in our heart. We have to share what we believe. We have to know it. We have to trust it. We have to live it out. And finally, 
We need to share it. As a matter of fact, that's why we were all created. We were created to be witnesses, to serve Christ and to be witnesses of Him. So if we're doing all of that but not sharing it, our life is incomplete. Our journey with, with the Lord is, is not complete. Integrity goes beyond just experiencing the blessings of God for yourself. God has created, as I said, all of us to be ministers, to be servants of His gospel. We've all been commissioned to share His gospel, right? It hasn't been suggested to us. We have been commissioned to share that gospel. So if we understand that, but we fail to act upon it, we are not people of integrity. We want the benefits of His truth. We just don't maybe want the inconvenience or discomfort of the truth. We don't want the discomfort of sharing that truth with others. We've got it for ourselves. We'll just hide it there in our heart like the Bible says. I'm hiding it in my heart because that's scriptural. And we just leave it there. That is not scriptural. Amen? Yeah, it's got to be in there before we can share it, obviously. But too often we're guilty of just putting it in there, closing the door, locking the key, and throwing it away. I'm good to go. Not that guy. Boy, he's a sinner. He's headed straight to hell. Too bad for him. That sounds terrible, but we've all had thoughts like that, right? We've all probably looked at people in the world around us and thought, man, that guy's going to be burning in a house. But it didn't cause us to go over there and share the truth with them, right? We just looked at them and thought, boy, they're going to end up in a bad way. We have to share what we believe. So, Warren Buffett. Everybody heard of Warren Buffett? One of the richest men in the world. I, I don't have any clue about Warren Buffett's spiritual uh, uh, relationship with the Lord. I, I don't know. But he made a very, very interesting quote concerning the business world that I've always thought, man, that so applies to our, our lives. Here's what Warren Buffett said. He was talking about being successful in business. He said, in order to be successful in business, you must have passion. You must have intelligence. And you must have integrity. But without the last one, those first two will kill you. Man, that is so, that applies. When I, first time I heard that, that, he just described life. I don't know if he realizes it or not. I don't know if he knows how profound or the depth of that was, but if you replace the word business with the word life, I'm telling you, it's a very profound statement. In order to be successful in life, you must have passion. We must have some amount of God-given intelligence, and he has given that to all of us. And we must have integrity. But without the last... Those first two will kill you. And I'm telling you, that is, there's nothing more dangerous in our lives than for us to have a passion for something, for us to have some intelligence, but have no integrity. Oh man, we are going to jack ourselves up real, real bad. We just have enough passion and smarts to kill ourselves. Either in the physical world or in eternity. One or the other. It's coming, right? What a... That is the absolute truth. Passion combined with human intelligence minus integrity is going to, man, it's just going to mess us up. 
Prisons and cemeteries are filled with people who were very passionate about something. But that's not really a surprise, really, because all of us, you may not realize it. I'm telling you, this is the truth. Every one of us are very passionate about something. You say, no, I'm not passionate about anything. I'm, I'm saying, oh, yes, you are. I'll talk to you after church if you want to argue with me. I say we are. We are all either passionate about serving God or we are very passionate about serving ourselves. It's one of the two. The only real difference between Christians and non-Christians is that Christians have found the real truth that they can believe in. We have found something that is eternally true. That's the basic difference, and we have accepted that truth into our life. You know, in today's world where so many people are searching and, and, and man, they're just being tossed all around from all of these different false philosophies and doctrines, you and I as, as Christians, we have found the truth. We should rejoice in that. We have found something uncompromising in God's word that we can absolutely with confidence share with other people. We can tell them, we look them right in the eye and say, I'm telling you, this is truth that you can not only believe, you can build your life on this. Now here's some truth. This truth will bring you joy, fulfillment, satisfaction, and success into your life. Now whether or not they accept that truth, that's up to them. That's not part of your job. You've just been commissioned to share it with them. Leave the rest to God. So I close this morning with this. This is the bottom line. If people don't see integrity in our lives, they do not see the truth. All they see is hypocrisy, and they can look in any direction and see plenty of that. I mean, why should they possibly think that our particular brand of hypocrisy is worth believing in? Know what you believe. Trust what you believe. Live out what you believe and share what you believe with others. Amen? Amen? Amen. If we do that, if we will do those things, we will be people of integrity. Amen. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com Connect with us on Facebook or call us at 210-657-3578.